Now we're making our way through the, the letter Paul wrote in prison in Rome to the church in Philippi, the first church plant in Europe. Pretty cool, pretty special church. Obviously doesn't exist today because that town's no longer there. But we're, we've, we're still in chapter 1, uh, but we're going to be moving through the end of chapter 1 and, and into chapter 2, and chapter 2 is going to be most of our focus today. The plan is to get through this letter by Christmas, right? I always have these plans about how long a sermon series is going to take, and um, it, it's, it always goes out the window, but that's the plan. Week one was a message called Healthy, and it was the idea, you know, Paul had some stuff in there about this church and how great it was and what made it look healthy. So we looked at that. Week two, uh, it was a sermon called Contagious, and this was looking at, um, you know, the, the stuff that Paul was facing. Obviously, he was in prison. He faced a lot of persecution. He was being bold for Christ, and that boldness was contagious. And we looked at a few other people as well through history who were likewise in that way. This week's message is called Attitude. Hmm. Isn't the word attitude interesting? Because I know sometimes we use it in a, in a slang way, you know, we can just say, you know, and you've got attitude, like, and that means that it's something bad, right? But here's, I thought you better, we better start with the dictionary version of it, all right? So look through, through a few dictionaries, and I liked what the Oxford Dictionary said on the screen behind me. It can be a noun or a verb. The way you think and feel about somebody slash something, the way that you behave towards somebody or something that shows how you think and feel. Does everyone grasp that? The way we think, obviously the mind, the way we feel, we can probably point to the heart, the way we behave, our words and our actions, either to someone or something. We can have an attitude, good or bad, towards people or things. I note the Oxford Dictionary says that the way we behave reveals the way we think and feel. And the reason I'm telling you this is because the key verse for today is going to be right in the middle of our text, but I'm going to start with it, Philippians 2.5, pop it up on the screen, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Must and same are two key words in there for me. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. In fact, I say we read this verse together. You ready? You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Let's do it with slightly more enthusiasm. Ready? You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now replace that first word with I. I must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I'm not trying to brainwash you. I'm just trying to get that verse to stick, for us to dwell on it for a little while today. Because today's message, I think this is challenging. The scripture is anyway, hopefully my words too. But as I often say, let's not think about somebody else. As we read and discuss, I encourage you, and I'm going to be doing it too. Please, let's think about my attitude, the way I think, the way I feel, the way I act. Let's submit those to God's work today. So today I'm going to read the last four verses of chapter 1 and then the first 18 of chapter 2. I'm going to do it slightly different. You know my practices. I'll normally read a section and then away we go. I'm going to make my way through. So my suggestion to you today, we're used to just looking at the screen, and I'll still do that, but you might get lost. If you've got your Bible or if you've got an app on your phone, why don't you get it out now? Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in, in verse 27. Hopefully that way you can track with me because I do move around a little bit. 
up and down. It is the NLT version I'm going to use, so even easier if you're following it on, on a device. You can just select New Living Translation or NLT, and you'll be able to match it really easily. Otherwise, it is on the screen. Philippians 1, 27. Everyone ready? Okay, good. Here we go. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the news about Christ. Then whenever I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Stop there. If you're reading on your phone, just stop for a second because it's tempting to keep going. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of Christ. Worthy of Christ. How we go about life, you know, the words we say, the things we do, the way we respond to circumstances, even the difficult circumstances, even the unjust circumstances, the way we even just enter a room, how we embrace people, how we embrace people who are different to us, like they think differently, they act differently, how we embrace them, how quickly we forgive, how generously we give, Every single thing should be worthy of Christ Jesus because we're his disciples. Keep moving on. Verse 28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your, by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Often when Paul talks about enemies and stuff like that, you've got to understand, um, well, he's literally got people trying to take him out, trying to kill him. And so it, it, you know, he uses this language, and, and it's hard for us sometimes to understand what enemies might mean. But we know what Jesus said about how we're supposed to love even our enemies, right? So we've got to keep that in that context. That gets us to the end of chapter 1. Some of this topic we covered last week, you know, the key, the key takeaway that I remember was uh, we don't be afraid or intimidated and to understand that cultural pressure is not actually surprising. It's not that surprising because it's in the scripture. We're only getting the smallest glimpse in our own culture here of what the New Testament church experienced in, in, in our cultural movement or in their cultural times. But Paul, you know, he warns, you've got to expect these things. And Jesus did the same thing. So we don't be intimidated or fearful. We have hope in God and we have each other. But how we respond is key. That was very much in last week's sermon. You know, how we conduct ourselves, our attitude, the boldness that Paul demonstrates was a very gracious one. And it wasn't an arrogant one. So we're going to move on to chapter 2 because this is where we want to get into today. My... Uh, intention is that we're going to read all of Philippians, so that's why we're going to be reading all of these verses that we may not necessarily dwell on. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, follow along with me. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I think the answer is yes, isn't it? Is there any comfort from his love? Is the answer yes? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Yes. I, this one, just stop on this one for a little bit. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes. 
that make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. The same attitude as Jesus. So number one today. Number one. Love the church. Love the church. Jesus was the founder of the church. You know, he's still the CEO, for want of a better word. This, you know, we are his. So our attitude to the church should be one of love, and out of that comes unity and expectation about his purpose for us as we work together towards that purpose. And I get that sometimes the church goes off the tracks and needs our attention to bring her back on track. And Paul certainly had an important role at times doing just that, you know, with correction. He didn't ignore the issues, but you look through his letters, despite the problems, he's passionate about the church still. He really wants the church to do well, you know, to succeed. And he spends a lot of time encouraging and building up the church he loves the church. You know, this book, this letter we're reading is a good example of that. And so you know, we adopt this same attitude. Or we should, anyway. And we've covered problems in the wider church in other, in other messages that we have to be careful of. It's not this sermon series, though, because I want us to hear this call about unity in, the, in these verses and the call to be in agreement about the mission, about the purpose that God gave us. You know, we, I've had these banners on this stage here since, I think it's like 2017 or 18 or something like that. They're looking a little old and tired, but until we get something better, they're going to stay because this reminds us what we believe God has said to us about the purpose of, of this churches, and really it's all churches, that we're going to, everything we do is to glorify God. You know, we're about embracing people, and it doesn't matter where they are on their spiritual journey. It doesn't matter if they completely reject God. They're an atheist, you know, they don't even, and they're an active atheist, you know, that sort of stuff. We're going to embrace them. We're going to embrace them. And uh, we're going to be planting seeds of the gospel. That's what we're about. That's what you, God wants you to do as you go about your life and your schools and your universities and your workplaces, taking little opportunities that God opens up with people to plant those seeds. Plant those seeds of the good, the good news of Jesus. And we're about making disciples. It's one of the reasons we sit here and open the Bible together. It's one of the reasons why you're in small groups, hopefully. It's one of the reasons why you do hopefully do daily readings or devotionals or something similar like that. It's because we're going deeper. We're being disciples of Jesus. And I love what Brother Andrew said last week in that video. He wants it on his tombstone. Disciple of Jesus. I like it. I think I'm going to borrow that one too. Keep that in mind, Shelley. Because you'll probably outlive me, and that's what I want. It's a bit, the church has a purpose. Verse 3, just a reminder. says, don't be selfish. Have we got to verse 3 yet? No, we're up to verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. There is so much in those two verses. We're going to get back to them. Then he goes on in verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's our key verse. And then he quotes uh, 
from what I can tell, just doing some research, this is an old hymn to help people understand Jesus a little bit more and, and uh, who he is. Verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a call. There is a command. An invitation to be like Jesus. To have the same attitude that he does. And that, what we just read, points to it. Remember, attitude is the way we think and feel and actions that flow from that. So point two today is be humble. You knew I was going to say it. It's the big one. How should someone stand out as a follower of Jesus? They're known for, being, for their humility. Hopefully. Known for it. It's fundamental. It's an obvious attitude of a Christian. Humility. Or it should be. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'm going to challenge you on this. Ask someone who loves you and who can be honest with you and knows you well. Ask them this question. I've put it on the screen. Do people receive me as a humble person? Next slide. Do people receive me as a humble person? That's a hard question to ask someone. Because if they're honest with you, and they love you, they'll do it nicely. They, they might actually expose some things. It's hard to hear. They have to be honest there because most people, if I walked up to someone and said, hey, do, how do people receive me? Or do they receive me as a humble person? Most people will go, um, yeah, yeah, you're humble. And I'll go, beauty, I'm, I'm done. I think that's good. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. But we all need to evaluate this. The scriptures do challenge us. They expose things for our good, not to beat us up, not to tear us down. For it's out of it comes something amazing. I remember at um, Gordon's memorial service a month or so ago, just hearing the stories from his kids and people in his life. Humble man. Humble man of God. A couple people, a couple men came to me in tears. They said, oh, I'm not sure my kids could say that about me. And, and you know, being a pastor, I, of course, affirmed them because there's, there's lots of good in those people's lives and the people are going to say good things about them. But I thought, you know what, let's not ignore what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. It's never too late. Let's recap some of these attributes that Paul gives of a humble person. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest. Actually take an interest in others. But verse 3 is the key. Don't be selfish. In other words, you should be selfless. It doesn't need to be about me. I don't need to always be right. I don't need to get my way all the time. I don't... 
roll my eyes at others all the time. I'm not constantly frustrated just because people are different to me. I don't think I know best. That's the kind of selfless attitude that Jesus really should be working on in us. In fact, as a humble person, my main concern starts to become more and more as I follow Jesus and he brings humility into my life. My main concern is for others and how I can help them and, and lift others up. You know, and that's what brings joy when others get lifted up. How can I care for them even if it costs me something? Paul goes a step further and he says, try thinking of others as better than yourselves. That's, you know, that, that goes against the grain of, of our, let's just say it, our, our sinful natures, doesn't it? It is the trap of our culture. We're told the most important person in our life is me. But the Christian life shifts that mindset from me to we. That doesn't mean I have to think of myself as worthless, by the way. That's not what this is saying. It doesn't mean that I have to give more than I'm able to. It doesn't mean I have to put myself down to lift others up. That's actually false humility. That's not real. It doesn't mean I, I have, that I don't have healthy boundaries. You know, real, real love has really good healthy boundaries. It is about understanding the life in Christ is we-focused and not me-focused because selfishness comes straight, again, from, from this sinful nature. Most sin is actually a result of selfish desires. That's the opposite of, of Jesus who gave, us, he gave up his privileges in heaven and his life for us. You know, that's what humility looked like. It looks like Jesus. I'm glad we were singing his name before, we, before I got up here. Humility, like Jesus, shifts our mindset to take on interest in others. And that's why Paul says it in verse 4. We think and we feel and we act. We think about others even when it's frustrating, they're frustrating you. We think about others. We actually feel and we act. And you know what? If the feeling is missing, and let's be honest, that's usually the problem, then bring that one to God. Because you can still think and act in your strength. But God can bring the feeling. That's really the heart change. Bring that one to God. And when, you know, when we're praying at the end here today, if you're like, you know what? I just don't feel it. Come and pray with someone. Come and pray with someone. Lastly, in this paragraph, Paul says, don't try to impress. And it's another trap that can sabotage our humility. You know, that need, that built-in need to impress and have people say something good about us. I get that. This is something that I've had to work on myself. Because we, we, we love the compliments. And of course, I'm not, you know, we should be encouragers of people. Well, I've done a whole sermon on that. Very important. But if, that, if the need is to impress, there's an issue. Because it can feed our ego and, and selfishness can win over. Humility starts to go out of the, the door. You know, it starts to change who we are. The compliments and attention can be addictive. This is the downfall of so many good Christian men and women, particularly in, in leadership. Especially the gifted ones. I'm definitely not saying don't encourage people. Hear that. I'm not saying also that you shouldn't do things well or with with excellence. You should do that because we're serving God. He actually deserves our best. But if your heart is in it for the wrong reasons, then just stop because I think God's trying to bring some humility into your life. 
And, and you know what? If you don't stop, God has this way of stopping you. <laughs> and then it's, then it's really painful when he does. But it's for good reasons. Let's keep reading. We're up to verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Thank goodness. So number three today about attitude is do what Jesus says. His points aren't that clever today, are they? <laughs> There's no wit about them. Can't really put these ones on Instagram. It's just... Do what Jesus says. You know, obey him. Don't just acknowledge Jesus with your lips. Actually, do you know what? It's, it's not real. Remember, we did a whole series in James on this one. It's not real when we just say it from here. We actually have to do it. That points to your faith. Actually do it. In fact, work hard on aligning your life with Jesus out of deep reverence and fear of God. This is what Paul's saying he deserves our utmost trust and respect. You know, the fear of God is really about understanding our place before him. Yes, he loves us deeply. Done sermons on that. Yes, he cares for us like his children. Preached on that one. Yes, he has a plan for us and guides us. Yep, talked about that. We can call him God or we can call God Abba Father. You know, in that particular special way that, that he gives us. We've talked about that. Jesus says, you can call me friend. We've talked about that. All those things are amazing and true. But we're not God. And he's also our powerful creator, our Lord, our master, our God. And we're his people, his creation, his followers, his bond servants. We owe all that we have to him. Even the air we breathe today, thank you, Jesus. So who do we think we are telling God how it should be? Who do we think we are ignoring him and, dis and disobeying him? In other words, to put it simply, he's God. And we're not. The fear of the Lord is understanding who we are before him. Not being scared. It's not about hiding away. The cross means that we can boldly go to the throne of grace. But respectfully... He's worthy of our complete and total loyalty and trust, even when it's hard to understand what he's doing. He knows best. So for goodness sake, church, let's do what he tells us to do. History has proved him to be right over and over again. Even when it's hard, he knows what's best. It's always worth it. Verse 13 is key here. Let me read it again. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's a pretty controversial uh, verse in today's culture. You read that again. God is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. To say that God can change our desires to please him. Paul says, God gives us the power to do it. All things are possible, right? It feels like today the culture says, no. We don't change our desires. We put our identity in them. The key is giving God all of us, including the time and freedom to do that work in us. 
The church isn't here, by the way, to beat you up. Just because your desires might not align with God's. We're not, we're not here to do that because we, guess what? We're, we're all in this boat together. We all have them. We're here to support each other to go deeper into that change. With complete grace, understanding, and loving encouragement, embracing. Because sometimes we fall, but the church helps each other get up again. At least I hope it does. With God's forgiveness and patience, we keep pushing on together. Honestly, this is the outcome of all the hard work we do around discipleship, it's change, like real, real change, internal change. To be more like Christ, our desires change, our very character changes. This is, this is what we get out of Scripture, as well as a loving relationship with Jesus. Our character changes. That's the outcome of giving God the space to work in us. We'll keep reading verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. This is amazing, isn't it, what Paul's going on today? It's just, man, I actually love this stuff. I find it challenging. I like it. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So number four, obviously, another easy one, shine brightly. You, you want to know the first thing you need to do to shine brightly? If we're following Paul's scripture, not my words, quit complaining. Could complain about the verse saying quit complaining because complaining is addictive isn't it yeah (laughs) we complain about everything today you open the newspaper and turn on the news it's basically just people complaining about other people we complain about people who are different we complain about our families we complain about the church we complain about our schools we complain about our places of work the people we work with we complain about the government, we complain about the banks. We complain about Optus, put that one in there, special mention. We complain about the insurance companies and the, and, and the supermarkets. We complain about the roads. We complain about the drivers around us on the roads. We complain about the drivers who do 60 in the 80 zone on Old Northern Road. <laughs> what is that? Oh, I just realised I've complained. We also love to argue. We have to be right. Got to have the last say. Prove people wrong, prove me right. Not giving up until people acknowledge it. I know there's times to speak up. I get it. But the truth is far too often we complain or argue because the feeling of importance that it gives us. The motivations aren't right. And then we become no different to the world and we don't shine so brightly. All right, last paragraph. We're nearly there. You've done really well. Verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Love this translation. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Mm. I had to pick one point out of all that. Here it is. Hold tightly. Hold tightly. It was verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life. 
knowing that Christ will return. Never loosen your grip. We've all done it. I always, whenever I think of holding on tight, I always think of the, um, the women who ran to Jesus when he first rose and they gripped onto, he says, they gripped onto his feet and held on tightly. And it's like, you know, it's a bit like when you, the, your kids are little and they hold on to your legs and you do this. And I can just picture Jesus doing this. <laughs> and the women are holding on. That's probably not what happened. But it's this idea of we're holding on tightly. Our lover Paul says, pour out your life like a liquid offering. In other words, like a sacrifice. My whole life, the things I'm doing and saying, it's my attitude, isn't it? An attitude of holding tightly, like he did for us. It's a living sacrifice each day. That's what our worship is, a living sacrifice, living out an attitude like Christ Jesus. And also, he says in there that it's actually a joyful life. A life filled with joy. I'm glad we sang that new song this morning. We've got to have moments of joy. We've got a lot of things to be glad about, to be thankful for in our lives. And I know sometimes it's hard to see it when things are going wrong, but you just have to think about what Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. And that he's promised something amazing for us. So I want to ask you today, do you have the same attitude as Jesus? Do you love the church like Jesus did? Are you humble like he is? Do you do everything that Jesus commands? Do you shine brightly in this dark world, you know, for for the right reasons? Are you holding on tight to your faith in Jesus and his word? This is the scripture that God's brought us today. Would you join me as we pray through it? God, I'm amazed as always that these letters written to churches 2,000 years ago make it into our, our reading and discipleship today. Obviously, your plan, God, your word speaks to us. It is living, it is active, it cuts through. No doubt today, Lord, these words cut through to me and to all of us here. And so we receive them. We just take a moment now just to ask you, Holy Spirit, just to speak into our hearts about what you want us to know, what you want us to take away from here today. Here's what I know, Lord. I want people, when they think of Nathan, I want them to think he has the attitude like Jesus does. The same one. Say, Lord, um, search my heart today. Search all our hearts today. Show us where the, the change is needed. And Lord, we hold on to your word there that says that you bring the power you bring it. We, we are open, Lord. And Lord, where we lack the feeling, 
think of Corrie Ten Boom, who had to stick her hand out to the guard. She said, I can't forgive, Lord, but I'll put my hand out. You bring the feeling. We do that today, Lord, we, where we lack the feeling to, to be humble and to be gracious, where we put others ahead of us, where we're not selfish, Lord. We really do look like you. God, I pray that you'll bring that, those desires into our hearts. When we look into people, people's eyes, we see them like you do. When people look into our eyes, they see you. I pray that, Lord, for all of us today. Humble, but bold. Compassionate and loving. Shining brightly in a dark world.